Well, what an incredible week we had at Ready, Set, Move VBS this past week. Uh, I'm excited to uh, share that we had 186 kids and 109 adults that were a part of this incredible week. Another uh, amazing uh, part of VBS is uh, our kids raised $3,273.65 for Morning Glory, uh, one of our supported missions in Guatemala, and that money will go to help sponsor five kids uh, from their uh, school down there. And just want to let you know, when you give to and through Bachelor Creek, you're helping us to put on awesome programs like VBS at no cost. And uh, just thank you for your generosity. Thank you for, for giving. Thank you for helping us uh, make and grow disciples of Jesus. That's what we're all about here. And to see uh, all these kids come and learn about Jesus last week was so rewarding and so thrilling. And uh, we're thankful for all of you who served and supported in so many different ways. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5 in just a moment. In the Copper Canyons of hidden rural Mexico, there's a small tribe called the Terra Humara. They live peaceful, healthy lives, and they live in caves and in the overhangs of cliffs. They're isolated from the rest of the world. They live on little to no technology. They're totally self-sufficient. They live off locally grown crops such as beans and corn. Many of them also raise cattle, sheep, and goats. But in the past couple of decades, they've caught the attention of the outside world for their long-distance running ability. They call themselves the Rara Murray, which means the running people. They run for days straight at a time. They never seem to tire. They do it with a smile on their face. They laugh as they run. They can run up to 200 miles in one session at altitudes of over 6,000 feet. But what might be the most incredible part of their story is that when they head off on a long run, they don't use uh, energy gels, they don't pack a bunch of uh, electrolyte liquids, they carry with them tortillas and a corn paste called panole. The Terra Humara have no formal running programs, they just run. Running is their life. Terra Humara running is based on endurance, not speed. It's evidenced by their hunting practices. In order to catch wild animals such as deer, wild turkey, and rabbits, the Terra Humara, they don't use high-caliber rifles. What they do is they chase after an animal until it drops from exhaustion. Now, if you were to stand next to them, nothing in your mind would tell you that they were about ready to head out on a long run. Because instead of wearing cushioned brooks or Saucony running shoes, they run in loincloths, in minimalist sandals. Some even run barefoot. The Terra Humara made their running debut in America in 1994 at the famous Leadville Trail 100 Ultra Marathon in Colorado. They shocked the world when they dominated the field. Tortillas, sandals, loincloths. That certainly doesn't fit the expectations of a great runner. What if everything you know about running is upside down? Jesus gathers his disciples together, and in Matthew chapter 5, he shares with them the Sermon on the Mount, and he, everything that, that they thought they knew of the kingdom is upside down. We read about it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In your Bible, you'll probably see there's a heading there that calls this section the Beatitudes. And the word Beatitudes comes from the Latin word beatus, which means the blessings. In Greek, it's markarios. It means blessed or happy. But, but happy not in the sense that, that we think of. It's not a, a temporary feeling that, that kind of comes and goes of, of, of exhilaration, of joy. This word markarios, it, it's, it's hard to, to really capture what it means in, in our English language, but scholar D.A. Carson says it, it's best understood as being approved by God. So approved by God are those who possess these attitudes. There are eight Beatitudes, and each one describes what life in the kingdom of God is like. Each of them follow a pattern where the condition is correlated with a blessing. And what you'll notice here is the blessing in the first beatitude is the same as the blessing in the last beatitude. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's this bracket that's created between the beatitudes letting us know that the kingdom of heaven is the major theme here. And what we discover is that life in the kingdom is radically different from what people would expect. Jesus flips our expectations of life in the kingdom upside down. Now, it's so different from what we would expect in 2023. When, when we look at people who have it all put together, who are, who are well off, if we looked at, at people who were thriving by today's standards, we would expect the Beatitudes to, to maybe sound something like this. Blessed are the rich and famous, because they can always get a seat at the best restaurant. Blessed are the good-looking, for they will have the most followers on Instagram. Blessed are those who party, for they know how to have fun. Blessed are those who take first place in the division, for they will have momentum going into the playoffs. Blessed are the movers and shakers, for they will make a name for themselves. Blessed are those who demand their rights, for they shall not be overlooked. Blessed are those who bully others into agreement, for they shall be called empire builders. Blessed are those who make it to the top, because they get to look down on everyone else. But that's not what Jesus says. Life in the kingdom is radically different from what people would expect. Jesus flips our expectations of life in the kingdom upside down. So let's look at these Beatitudes together and discover what it is that Jesus is teaching us. First, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Now, Jesus isn't talking about poor in the sense of not having money. He's not talking about poor in the sense of of not having any material possessions. He's talking about a spiritual posture. Those who are poor in spirit recognize they are in need of God's help. I, I am spiritually bankrupt. I have nothing of worth to offer. God, I need you. Without you, God, I am nothing. I can do nothing. Jesus says those who recognize their spiritual poverty find the richness of God's kingdom. The kingdom belongs to those who are dependent on God. So the very first beatitude is the acknowledgement that we don't have the spiritual resources to live out the values of the kingdom on our own. We need God to fill us up, and we need God to empower us. And this beatitude really is the foundation for all the other ones. It comes with us being completely dependent upon God. Second, blessed are those who mourn. Those who mourn, this is the emotional counterpart to poor in spirit. So what's it mean? It is personal grief over personal and corporate sin and its effects. It describes the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6 verse 5 when he cries out, Woe to me! I am ruined! I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. When Isaiah recognized his sin in the presence of a holy God, his response was to mourn. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7.24, he cries out, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I simply want to ask, do we mourn over our sin? It seems in our world today, at best we ignore sin, and at worst we celebrate it. Do we mourn over the sins and the blasphemies of our nation? Do we mourn over the erosion of truth in our culture? Do do we mourn over greed and the lack of integrity all around us? Jesus says those who grieve over sin and brokenness experience the comforting presence of God. Why do they experience comfort? Because they acknowledge that Christ has paid sin's ransom. That there is comfort because they know that their sin is no longer counted against them. Blessed are those who mourn. Third, blessed are the meek. The meek or, or the gentle. In a culture that exalts dominance and power, meekness is often misunderstood. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. Meekness is a desire to see other people's interests advanced ahead of your own. So the difference between the poor in spirit and the meek is that being poor in spirit has to do with the way that a person views himself and respect to God. It is inward focused. Meekness is relational. It's outward focused. Meekness has to do with your relationship between God and your relationship with other people. Psalm 37 verse 11 says, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The meek person is content. He doesn't have an inflated ego that thinks he must always have more because in Christ, he already sees himself as possessing everything that he needs. 
And so Jesus says, those who humbly surrender to God's control will receive the abundant inheritance of his promises. Blessed are the meek. Fourth, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Christians hunger for many things. Power, authority, success, comfort, happiness. But how many hunger and thirst for righteousness? What's it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It is that person who desires a life that is conformed to God's will. It is a person who delights in God's word, for that is where we find God's will. And we're told that that person is filled. Filled with what? With righteousness. You see, that there's a paradox here. The person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is filled, and yet he longs to be filled. And both are true. Jesus declared in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Why? Because in Jesus, they are fulfilled. They are satisfied. Paul describes this paradox. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, Paul says, I know Christ. And yet, in Philippians 3, 10, he says, I want to know Christ. In other words, Paul has come to know Christ, but in knowing him, he wants to know him better. So Jesus says, those who passionately pursue righteousness will find deep satisfaction and fulfillment in God. But the righteousness in which he is fulfilled is so wonderful that he hungers and thirsts for more of it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fifth, blessed are the merciful. The merciful are those who are compassionate and gentle, especially towards the miserable and the helpless. You'll remember last week we talked about how the Sermon on the Mount is addressed to the disciples, the the followers of Jesus, and that's important to remember because as Christians, we know what it is to be forgiven. And because we've been forgiven, we extend it to others. See, Jesus says those who extend forgiveness and compassion to others will receive overflowing mercy themselves. Think about it. Do you want other people to assume the worst about you? Do you want other people to remember your failures as long as you remember theirs? Do you want others to to never give you the benefit of the doubt? Do you like it when other people are quick to be angry and slow to forgive? No. Isn't it interesting that we want mercy shown to us, but we feel like we can withhold it from other people? Be merciful. You'll need mercy someday. Have you ever noticed that everybody else is a terrible driver except for you? You know, they drive too fast or they drive too slow or they don't use their turn signal or, you know, they're looking at their phone when the light turns green. Or how about this? Blank drivers are the worst. Man, Tennessee drivers, they're the worst. Man, Texas drivers, they're the worst. You ever been to New York? New York drivers are the worst. You know what people probably say as they drive through Indiana? 
Man, Indiana drivers are the worst. It's easy to point out the mistakes in other people and feel like we're exempt until I realize how many stupid things I've done. You know how they say the third time's a charm? And in my case, that is absolutely true because that's how many times it took me to pass my driver's test, okay? Uh, The first time I failed because I went straight in a turn lane. The second time I failed because I didn't... uh, I didn't stop at a yield sign, and that one still confuses me. But <laughs> if, if you now want to think twice before getting in the car with me, I totally understand. But maybe it's driving, but probably it's something else, okay? But listen, at some point, it's going to be you. At some point, it's going to be you, and you are going to want mercy. C- can you show mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Six, blessed are the pure in heart. In a world that is filled with distractions and temptations, maintaining a pure heart can be challenging. What's it mean to have a pure heart? It means living with integrity, seeking to please God above everything in every area of your life. And Jesus says those whose hearts are undivided in their devotion to God will experience the profound joy of encountering his presence. When Tara and I moved to Texas, we experienced firsthand that high school football in Texas is just a whole nother beast. It's a whole different animal. I mean, the the high school football stadiums there are bigger than most college stadiums. They have have AstroTurf on, on the fields. They've got jumbotrons and instant replay. I mean, it's huge. And around the time we moved down there was the same time that the show Friday Night Lights became this huge phenomenon. And if you've ever seen the show, you know that Coach Taylor has this rallying cry for their team. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And what Jesus is telling his followers in the kingdom of God, clear eyes, pure hearts, can't lose. Clear eyes, Pure hearts can't lose. Why? Because they will see God. See, each one of these beatitudes, there is a a promise attached to it. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For they will be shown mercy. For they will see God. It's something that we experience now, but we will experience fully in eternity. It's the already but not yet kingdom that we talked about last week. The pure in heart see God dimly now, but we will see God face to face in eternity. But the problem is sin and selfishness clouds our vision. It keeps us from from seeing God in all things. But have have you ever been around somebody who's pure in heart? Have you ever noticed how the pure in heart can see God in nature? Have you ever noticed how the, the pure in God see God so clearly in Scripture? The the pure in heart see God in their church family. The pure in heart see God in their circumstances. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Seven, blessed is the peacemakers. These are those who bring about peace, not just live in peace. It's not just avoiding conflict. It's not just keeping away from contentious environments. It's not even just forgiving your enemies as important as that is. We are called to actively make peace where there is none. 
And what's the promise? They are called sons of God. Jesus says those who actively work towards reconciliation and harmony reflect the nature of God and are recognized as his children. Why? Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. God came to make peace, dividing the wall of hostility, creating peace between people, and ultimately creating peace between people and himself. So right now, I want you to take inventory of your life. And where in your life is there strife and tension between you and another person? Is there a conversation that you need to initiate? Do you need to ask for forgiveness? Do you need to extend forgiveness to someone even if they haven't asked for it? Do you need to apologize? Make peace. Jesus says that God came to bring peace between God and man. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, Jesus tells us that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So who do you know that is an enemy of God that needs to hear the gospel? Somebody whose life is in tension and in strife with the creator of the universe, and they need to hear the ultimate message of reconciliation. Be intentional about sharing the love of Christ with others. Invite them into a relationship with God that brings true peace. Because in the kingdom of heaven, the lion will lie down with the lamb. No more fighting, no more strife, no more war. Let's begin to reflect that kingdom here and now. Make peace. The Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported that firefighters in Genoa, Texas, were deliberately accused of setting more than 40 destructive fires. When they were caught, they stated, we had nothing to do. We wanted to get the red lights flashing and the bells clanging. Listen, the job of a firefighter is to put out fires, not avoid them, and certainly not to start them. And in the same way, the job of Christians is to resolve conflict, not avoid it, and certainly not to start more of it. Make peace. And then number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. I am convinced that a lot of time, Christians in America cry persecution when they experience inconvenience. Inconvenience is not persecution. Disagreement is not persecution. Not getting what you want is not persecution. The key to understanding this beatitude is found in the phrase, because of righteousness. That is those people who are wrongly treated because of their faith. Because of righteousness, it's someone who is determined to live as Jesus lived, and they face persecution because of it. So there are so many people that I just want to tell them, listen, you're not being persecuted because of your faith. You're not being persecuted because of righteousness. You're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Now let me be clear. Persecution does exist in our world. Persecution because of righteousness. The organization Open Doors reported earlier that 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. 
In 2022, 5,621 Christians were killed for faith-related reasons. Two in five Christians are persecuted in Asia. One in five Christians are persecuted in Africa. Christians in North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Libya, Nigeria, and Pakistan are under the most extreme levels of persecution. And that persecution may take the form of imprisonment, physical violence, torture, being ostracized from your family. And what does Jesus say? Those who endure persecution for the sake of righteousness will inherit the eternal blessings of God's kingdom. This last beatitude is so important that Jesus expands on it. He says in Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here, Jesus clarifies that persecution includes insults and malice. It's not just physical opposition. And that phrase, because of righteousness, in verse 10, it parallels the phrase, because of me, in verse 11. And that confirms that a righteous life is one that imitates Jesus. And what's the response to be? Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Is that even possible? Well, it happened with the disciples in Acts 5, verse 41. It says, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. Well, why are we to rejoice? Jesus tells us, because great is your reward in heaven. Listen, if all we live for is comfort in this life, we will be sorely disappointed. We have to determine our values from the perspective of eternity. We have to take on the mindset of Paul who who understood and, and he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. This opening section in the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom. It's about how to live. It's about Jesus. Here's what I want you to realize. Every beatitude describes Jesus perfectly. Jesus is the one who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. Is that not the ultimate poverty of spirit? Jesus is the one who called himself a man of sorrows. Blessed are those who mourn. Jesus is the one who called himself meek and lowly. Jesus is the one that Malachi predicted would be a son of righteousness. Jesus is the one Hebrews tells us who comes to us as a merciful high priest. Jesus is the one who is not just pure in heart, but he is the Holy One of Israel. Jesus is the one who is not just a peacemaker, he is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus is the one who was persecuted because of righteousness when he was put to death on a cross and he became our suffering servant. Every one of these beatitudes is giving us the character of Christ himself. 
before the colonialists imposed national boundaries, the kings of Laos and Vietnam, they reached an agreement on taxation in their border areas. See, those who ate short grain rice and they built their houses on stilts and they decorated with Indian-style serpents, they were considered Laotians. On the other hand, those who ate long grain rice, they built their houses on the ground and they decorated them with Chinese-style dragons, they were considered Vietnamese. The exact location of a person's home was not what determined his or her nationality. Instead, each person belonged to the kingdom whose cultural values he or she exhibited. And so it is with us as followers of Jesus. We live in this world, but we are citizens of another kingdom. We belong to the kingdom of God. And as part of his kingdom, we are to live according to his kingdom's values and standards. And so today, I want to encourage you to resist the temptation to live out the values of a kingdom you do not belong to. There are a lot of things that get rewarded in this world, but they don't matter in God's kingdom. Learn to embrace the way of Jesus. It's not just a better way. It's the best way. It's the way. And as you hear these Beatitudes, if, if you find yourself struggling to live them out, if you find yourself not being able to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then what you're showing is that your values are more aligned with this world than they are the kingdom of God. So what do we do? I believe the more that we commit to live out the values of the kingdom, being dependent upon God, the more we live out the values of the kingdom, the more we will long for his kingdom to be fully established. The more we live them out, the more we will be able to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that the kingdom we belong to is your kingdom. It's a kingdom that, that's not of this world. And God, as believers, oftentimes we struggle, we, we live in this world, yet we're citizens of your kingdom, and, and the values of your kingdom collide with the values of this world. And God, oftentimes we face the temptations to, to try to climb up the ladder of success, to try to live out the values of this world. And God, I pray that, that it would begin with us just declaring, God, I need you. I have nothing to offer you. Here I am, God. Would you fill me? Would you use me? Would you give me everything that I need? So God, I pray that it would begin with us becoming poor in spirit, recognizing our dependence on you. And God, that starts when we call upon you to be our Lord and Savior, that we ask you to forgive us of our sins. We, we ask you to give us the gift of eternal life. God, we commit to following after you all the days of our life. And God, today, as, as we look at those kingdom of, these kingdom values, if there's anybody in here who says, that doesn't describe me, I, I pray that they, would, that they would come to their senses that they need a relationship with you. And I pray, God, that you would give them the courage and strength to make that decision. God, I, I pray for all of us that as we live in this world, there would be a homesickness that we would realize that this is not our home. 
that we are living for your eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom that has been established. It's a kingdom that's yet to be fully consummated. And as we live in that tension, God, would we embrace the way of Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen.